0: Good morning, Springbrook. Uh, I am so glad you came today. A real encouragement to me and your encouragement to the people around you. Because today, we're going to talk about something that we all have in common. And that is family conflict. Family conflict. maybe you even experienced it this past week. I don't know, but maybe, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's just part of being together with people. There's all kinds of places where we are with people and we can get into conflict. Uh, Of course, you know, in school, uh, on the job, uh, on the athletic field. Conflict comes when people get together and are trying to accomplish something. But there is no more complex conflict than you can find that's in the family. That is the most crucial type of conflict because you have investments in each other. You want things from those people because they're the most important people to you in your life. And so today, I'm just praying that as I teach this biblical principle that the Holy Spirit would be working within all of us, in order to understand how we can reduce conflict. It's really very simple. It's hard to apply, obviously. But it's something that I think will help you think differently about uh, the conflicts that you have uh, in your life. You know, we all have a different style in conflict sometimes you have a screamer, right? Somebody yells all the time. I remember reading uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality by uh, Peter Scazzaro. And he came from this big Italian family. <laughs> when they went into conflict. I mean, everybody was yelling. But somehow, some way, issues were dealt with. But when his fiancée came, she about said, what? what's going on here? Because she didn't come from a home that handled conflict in that way. So if you're thinking of getting married, make sure you check out how they handle conflict. <laughs> uh, the person you want to marry is home. Because you got to put those together. Now, sometimes you have a litigator. Now, I'm a litigator in conflict. I can remember early in my marriage to Lori, uh, I, I was a real litigator. She said, you know, I really have this concern about this issue with you. And I would say, okay, first of all, I'm going to need dates, times, transcripts, and possible pictures if you have them. If we're really going to figure this out, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's the way I was. I would just argue rings around her. And, of course, she's a peacemaker, so, you know, I heard her. I hurt her. I hurt the woman that I love the most. And I had to learn that lesson. I'm a lot better these days. But we all have our style. Or maybe you're the peacemaker. Alright? You just want everybody to get along. Come on, guys. Please. Everybody put a smile on your face. And they, even though they might be hurt, they value peace more than anything. So again, many times their feelings are trampled on. But they want peace more than anything. Well, everybody has their style friends. And conflict is all over the place. And we want to figure out, okay, what exactly does the Bible have to say, especially about family conflict? We're going to go, well, here's our series that we're going through. Uh, Last week we talked about what's a family for. This week, how to restore harmony in the home. And next week, raising kids without raising your blood pressure. <laughs> so keep on inviting your friends uh, and those postcards out because we want to help people in our community build some of these skills that are so important. Now James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, think about that question for a second. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? How would you answer that question? Well, you'd answer that question, well, everybody else causes conflict. I'm a very immature, logical, fair person. <laughs> I see everybody so messed up. I wish I could help them, but they won't listen. Okay? It's like the, the wife. who's who's always complaining about her husband not being at home, being at work and watching sports if he is home and and that kind of thing. So the wife blames the husband. He is the total problem. And then you have the husband thinking that his wife is always nagging him, getting him to change in some way. Way, and he thinks that she's a problem. Then you have the teenagers, okay, and they're looking at their parents and they're saying, Man, their expectations are so high, there's no way that I could get to them and meet those expectations. And then they just shove their authority down my throat. So obviously it's not my problem because I am normal and mature and fair. See how this goes? It's easy, right? It's called the blame game. When anybody comes to you with a problem with you that they want to work out, you instantly go to the blame game because that works the best. And again, it's right because what could be wrong with me? Can someone stand up? No, please don't do that. A lot of material here. Okay. Uh, now, I have a uh, golden lab retriever we do. name is uh, Sadie. And uh, she's 10 years old. And uh, she's getting older. And she loves to bark. She loves to bark, you know. You let her outside, boom, she starts to bark. I said, what's the deal with that? Why, why do you have to start that way? And when anybody comes near the house, she starts barking and barking. Now, Lori, who really loves the dogs, I do, I love them too, but not as much as she does. She said, well, she's getting older. And that's the only way she can, you know, state her authority, is she can bark loud. <laughs> All right, well... Listen, I have tried to silence that dog in many ways. I have probably bought three different muzzles from PetSmart trying to figure which one will keep her from barking. I have bought a bark collar. And I put it on her. And when I put it on, it works. But when my wife puts it on, for some reason, it doesn't work. And I've talked to my wife. About this? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, I was thinking, just last night I was thinking this as I was preparing a message. I was thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe it's just not all the dog. Because what I notice is, a little stress last night, that I get more upset at the dog when I'm stressed. And when I'm not stressed, it's got to be the point where I really don't well, I do notice it. I keep yelling at the dogs, but it's not as bad as it used to be. You know what I'm saying? So the dog is not out there intentionally trying to <laughs> create tension with me. Yeah, I'll bark so the father will get mad. No, 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 he's just barking. Right? But I look at myself and I say, yeah, well, the dog is just barking. And I don't like it, but uh, I see how it impacts me and that I take it out on the dog when I get stressed. So there's a problem within me. Now, there's really no problem with the dog because they're just doing what they do. And that's the way we need to begin to think. In fact, you will not believe it, but my son Wesley brought a cat home last night for us to watch. A cat in the Harrison home. A cat in the Harrison home. I've never heard of such a thing. And, you know, it's, it's nice, cat. You know, nice and you know, nuzzles up to you and that type of thing. And uh, But, I mean, where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? We have done everything to teach our child that dogs are the best pets. And the cats, really, they're not interested in you at all. So why should you develop a relationship with them? I mean, we've had, I don't know maybe. Three dogs over the period of Wesley's life. Do you know what happened? He met this girl. And they have kind of like a barn area, beautiful property. And they have dogs, cats, goats, horses. And this young lady has infected my son. In fact, he's sitting right back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. You put all that time in, and what do you get? You know, the girl turns him toward the dark side. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, maybe I'll learn to love cats a little more. I'm not really uh, sure. (laughs) Well, let's look at James four one. Now, he's going to give us the answer here about what the problem really is. It is not this, that your passions are at war within you. Now, he doesn't say it's the other person, right? He says, no, the problem is within you. You have all these desires and passions. You want people to live life the way you want to live them. Because you want to feel respected and loved and And you want your kids and your husband and everyone to do what they should do, which is just, again, mature, logical, and fair. And so what happens is you have all these desires within you, and you have, obviously, temptations going back and forth and struggling with addictions. You know, we're all kind of messed up, right, (laughs) inside. Uh, Yeah, but you, you're having the problem. And this is the main thing I want to communicate to you this morning is that when you are in a conflict, you need to realize that part of the problem is that you're not getting what you want. Okay? Any conflict, you name it, that's the core reason. You're selfish. I'm selfish. And we're not getting what we want. My son should respect me. My wife should take care of that. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's everybody's fault. No, no, it's not everybody's fault. The first place that you begin when you have a conflict with someone is you look inside your heart. And you say, what need am I expecting this person to meet? What do I want from them that I'm getting so ticked off about that they won't give to me? It's really like taking your happiness and giving it to one of your family members. You say, now you have my happiness. You can control my happiness by your behavior. Well, that's just stupid, isn't it? <laughs> Come on. It doesn't make any sense. But that's what we do unconsciously. We do that because we we give our happiness to other people in our family and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and say this and all these type of things and I will be happy. And what happens is they don't do those things. You get ticked at them and say, they're not being a good son, they're not being a good wife, they're not being a good husband. Right? Go back to the blame game. It's interesting. I read about a, a pastor who did marital counseling. And he said that when he sat down with a man and a wife, he would say, Okay, this represents all of your marital conflict, right here. This represents all your marital conflict. Now, what piece of it do you own? What's your slice? What's your problem that is impacting this marriage? And he said most people wouldn't even touch it. Because they thought that it was their husband or wife. It was all kind of one way. One way. And if they did put a slice, it would be kind of like this. And, you know, people will do that. You know how it goes. I've been counseling before. They'll admit to some things. Kind of like, yeah, I'm not the perfect person, but look at her. Look at him. How can I live with this person? Right? Yeah. You see, this is such a critical thing to understand in relationships because what's happening here is that the husband, let's say, is the mature, logical fair one. Right? Hey, I got my act together here. What about my wife? She's the one that's causing all the problems. Or again, the wife might be the mature logical. Although we all are, right? That's a problem. We can't even see our own issues. We can't see our own problems. Now here's a problem. If you really do own a slice of the pie, you've got to be nice. Right? If you own a slice, you gotta be nice. And that makes sense because when you say yes, that has impact our marriage, you're taking ownership of a slice of it. A large slice of it. Probably not as large as you think. And when that happens, <laughs> when that happens, you lose your leverage. You lose your leverage. You lose uh, your argument. You lose, you know, any way to defend yourself. When you own a piece of the pie, it, takes, it just takes the air all out of you. Because, yeah, I got problems here and you got problems. Well, let's work on it together. Now, I know that's ideal, but that's kind of where you want to get is that before you go into a conflict situation, you need to ask, now, am I mad about this? Because part of this problem is something that I'm not getting. Now again, we expect everybody to take care of us, right? Because life is fair. And everybody should act like they're supposed to. Because life is fair! <laughs> I tell you what, fair ended in the Garden of Eden. Life is not fair. It will never be fair. And if you approach life in such a way thinking that it will be fair, you're going to be disappointed over and over and over and over and over again. And you're going to be mad. You're going to say, why is God doing this to me? He's supposed to treat me fairly with love. No. That's not always the case. That's kind of where you have to start, right? You know, it is what it is. Like one of my friends said it a long time, I know it's widely said, but uh, a couple of years ago, my friend said that to me and said, "Yeah, that is really true. It is what it is. <laughs> you just have to accept." Thank you so much, Tony. If you could stay in the front row there to help me with anything else. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, it is what it is. We don't want to accept that. We say, no, my life is supposed to be like this. And we say, no, it is what it is. Life is unfair. And your husband, your wife, your teens, they're not going to meet your expectations. They just aren't. In fact, you know, I was thinking about that. Again, this past week. And I was thinking about a conflict that I had with one of my sons. And uh, I realized that I was trying to squeeze something out of him that he didn't even have. Have you ever done this, a parent? You've had expectations for your kids, but they don't even have what it takes to please you. Look in James 4 2. It says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. Okay, so we have all these desires lined up that we want all of our family members and extended family members uh, to fill, and we don't get what we want. So what do we do? We murder. Wait, hold on. What are you talking about, murder?
1: <laughs> well, James
0: was writing. Uh, to the churches, and, and he says, "You murder." And I believe that's hyperbole. Uh, but again, if you what's that murder mystery show? You know, where the wife or the husband's trying to knock the other one off. I don't know. Is that NBC? <laughs> Very entertaining. But <laughs> the point being, it's happening. People are actually killing their wives and their husbands. Why? Because they're not getting what they. Want, And they see no problem with themselves. Well, friends, we do that to each other all the time. When we don't get what we want, we come up with this strategy, this action plan in which we are going to manipulate the person in our family to be what we want them to be. But what happens in the midst of that in the midst of the arguments, in the midst of the name-calling, in the midst of this conflict and these people who are really hyped up, you hurt your children. You hurt your wife. You hurt your husband. We all know of families where it's taken to the extreme and the parents really have destroyed their children because they had unfair expectations. They're trying to move them into a mold and the, the kids didn't want it. And therefore, they walked away at age 16 or 18 and said, I'm just getting out of here. We had a pink going on this weekend. And I tell you, it is one tremendous event. I am so thankful for Emily Phillips and her creativity and uh, her passion and her organization. So you get—I don't know how the ladies were. Oh, stand up if you're involved in pink. If you're involved in pink. All right, let's give these ladies a hand. Now you see this history in our church because pink stands for purity is no compromise. Purity is no compromise. And what they have these ladies do is come in on a Friday night and have a great presentation of the Gospel, and band, and things of that nature. And then the next day, they have classes for the ladies in how they should view themselves. And of course, if they're part of our culture, they're really confused. But again, these ladies are stepping in the gap and saying, listen, the culture is wrong. This is what true beauty is. This is how you need to express yourself sexually. In marriage, you know the average age? I think it's 16 when uh, girls lose their virginity. I mean, that's just terrible. When you think about the pain that causes in their lives, and really our culture is enabling the guys to do it, right? Hey, sex is no big deal, right? And so the guys are just interested in one thing, take advantage of the girls, who are interested in another thing, and it's just a mess. But again, we have our people this past weekend telling these girls, saying, hey, you need to guard your purity. You need to make it a priority when you're dealing with people in your life. It you remember these biblical principles. In fact, I walked in on one session and there was a tattoo artist here. And this tattoo artist worked uh, with girls that were involved in the sex trade. So what he would do, or what he does do, is he removes uh, certain tattoos that were put on by these sex slave traders. You know, Kevin Johnson's property was one of them. One girl had something on the back. It was a tattoo, and it was a, it was a barcode, but never could be used as a barcode. But there was a number, and there's actually a database where that number is stored, and a person can look that person up and find out everything about them, where they live, who their parents are, and their situation. Uh, friends, we need to pray and do whatever we can to stand up against the sex uh, slave traders and shut them down. But again, one thing we realize is our world has given them the permission and kids buy into it more easily. And you know what the number one person who goes into sex slavery? is people who run away from home. Girls that have won, run away from home. And again, you never know what the story is. It could have been the parents destroying her self-confidence and is driving her nuts. Or it could be the opposite way, but probably, you know, it's this way. And again, you think what happens to them and say, wow, we need to really be careful with what we say to our kids when we're talking to them. I just want to encourage you guys, I want to challenge you, that if you're having an argument, with your husband or your wife or your kids, that you don't call them names. All right? You don't call them names. You're thinking, well, how can I fight them? <laughs> Friends, every time you say that negative name, it makes an imprint on the heart of your beloved. People just, you know, they let all this stuff fly. And it's just like they're throwing knives at each other. And that pain lasts forever. As you know, uh, a, a dad's affirmation is the most important thing a child can get. Even more important than the mom. Even though she's doing all the work. <laughs> a dad's affirmation. And dads, I challenge you to give that affirmation. Tell Your girls, that you love them. Hug them. Stay close to them. Just let them know that they are so special. Because they need that from you. There's a lot of people walking around today who don't have that, that father affirmation. It's called the father wound. And it really messes them up. So we as parents need to model how To argue. Yes, arguments will come. Yes, we might own different parts of it. They own more whatever. But the point is, don't call names. Don't swear. I know that might be new to some of you. But don't swear. You're talking to a loved one. Because what you're trying to do is to work your leverage on that other person. And you're going to use every tool that you have to infuriate. In fact, I was talking to somebody before the service and one of their children had said something that was just so nasty. Well, we're the mature ones, right, hopefully? And when our children come and attack us and when they disappoint us and things of that nature, actually, discipline has to be done. But be careful what you say. Because their idea of what you think about them is so critical. I know it's so difficult raising teenagers, so challenging. But again, remember, you're the adult. And what you say impacts your child's life. So this is something I want us to say. What if in the what if in the middle of an argument, okay, you've got your reasoning all set there and you've got every tool out. What if you said right in the middle of the argument, part of the problem is right now, I'm not getting what I want. Now would you say to that person that argument? argument? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. But that's the thing you need to continue to say as you look at each conflict in your life. You need to look internally. You need to examine your heart and say, okay, I'm not getting what I want. And I've got to talk to whoever about it. But I've got to take ownership of that. That I'm not getting what I want. And I tell you, when you do that, when, when you really start to think this way, when you look at each relationship, I mean, it could be extreme situations. But you still need to look at your heart first and say, God, is there some type of need that I have that I expect that other person to meet? Lord, what do I need to own? And really be, it's really counterintuitive, man, because we want to, you know, line up all of our arguments and we want to have the best case to present. But when you go to a person and say, listen, Part of this problem, part, part, part of this problem is that I'm not getting what I want from you in this area. You say, I'd never say that. Well, you're gonna have a lot more disappointment and frustration. But the way you need to think, stop the blame game. Stop the blame game. You look internally first and ask the Lord to examine your heart. Say, what do I want? And how am I going about getting it? Am I doing it in the right way? You see, this, this again switches things all the way around when it comes to family conflict. It's typically people are coming and saying, you're the problem, you're the problem, you're the problem. Boom! Or you come to it and say, yeah, I own part of this problem. I'd like to talk to you about it. There's a need that you're not meeting. And I tell you what, the temperature, uh, the intensity of the arguments are going to drop in your home. Even if you just do it. Well, if everybody in the family did it, it'd just be wonderful, wouldn't it? But if God's speaking to you, which I hope he is, that's so important that you understand and apply in the proper way. There's a story about a nursing home a couple, and they have been married 60 years. Sixty years. And they had constantly fought, day and night. And they finally moved into a nursing home and they were still fighting. The management said, listen, if you guys don't stop fighting, we're going to have to throw you out. And so the woman said, well, Joe, let's pray that one of us would die. And then after the funeral, I can go to live with my sister. <laughs> it's true, friends. Look at James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now this is James, right? We studied this book a year or so ago. And in James 1.5, it says, if you need wisdom, you need to ask God. And He will give it to you abundantly. Right? God wants to help you in your conflicts. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions why don't we get what we want because again we're still in this selfish mode saying oh, you got to meet my needs you got to meet my needs instead of being humble before the lord and humble before the person you're having in this conflict and saying you know what I'm part of this problem because I'm not getting what I need i mean that's the best thing you can say just to lay out on the table and i know it's uh, risky what God asks us to do. But what this verse is saying is that we're praying about it, but we're not asking with the right motives. We want to win the argument instead of working with the other person. So friends, this is very important. How much do you pray about the conflicts that you have with your family members or extended family members? How much do you pray because you know there's only one person who can change their heart and that's the holy spirit the holy spirit can move and change changes people it's just like i can't believe that's the same guy so friends you should take all the time that you're worrying about the conflict and devote that time to prayer so, as you go throughout your day and you think about, okay, I'll pray about that tonight. I'll pray about that tonight. And then, when you get 15 minutes in the evening, then you get down before the Lord. You don't worry about it all day. You say, I'm just going to pray about it. So, you can pray about it then, but then get down with the Lord. If it's a significant problem, more prayer is needed. Get other people to support you. Prayer is powerful. When we have more and more of it, it's going to make a difference. Again, it's the one. One thing you can do that can really make a difference and at the same time you're saying to yourself, Lord, I pray that you would examine my heart. I pray you would search my heart and show me what my motivation is here. Am I, again, part of the problem because I'm not having a need met? What is that need? And how am I approaching my son or my daughter or my husband or wife? in order to resolve that problem with the least tension that needs be. Friends, that's it. That's what I wanted to share with you today. Now that that is revolutionary, isn't it? When you think about it. Because everybody's blaming everybody else because they don't want to take ownership for their part of the problem. So as you go throughout this week, I want you just to uh, be thinking about your family members, extended family members, and maybe it's time you wrote a letter. Maybe it's time you emailed someone. Maybe it's time that you picked up the phone. Right? And talk about, hey, we have a problem, and part of it is my problem, because I'm expecting something from you. On the back, there's some different, uh, uh, let me just take a look. On the back of your insert, you have some quick ways uh, in terms of making conflict easier. First of all, you never compare. Don't say, why can't you be like, or you're just like. It's unfair to compare. God made every person unique. That is so important, especially when you're uh, dealing with conflict with different children, never, ever, ever, ever say, why can't you be like? No! That is very painful. Never condemn. Don't use phrases like, you always or you never. You ought to. You should. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're condemning them. Now you can say, I feel like you're doing this. It's just my observation. But when you say, you're doing it, you're saying, it's true, and you've got to fix it. Never command. Don't try to end an argument by force. I demand that you do what I say. How's that working for you, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, now that you made it a command, it's all different now. Never challenge threats. Just try that and see what happens. Man, you're painting yourself into a corner on that one. That's just stupid. Never condescend. Never treat that person as less than they really are as inferior. And I tell you what, when we're involved in selfish arguments, we will try to do anything we can to elevate ourselves above that other person. And that's the exact thing you don't want to do if you really want to resolve it. Never contradict. Never interrupt in the middle of a sentence. I mean, sometimes a person's you know, sharing their story, and and you just barge right in, and you share your opinion about it. You try to contradict them and get them confused. No, don't do that. Never confuse is when you bring up unrelated issues in the middle of the argument. Oh, don't you love that one? <laughs> I wish I had a better memory. Um, <laughs> oh, I tell you. That when somebody does that, you know they're losing. Okay? And again, your goal is not to win a family argument, right? Because you never win. The relationship continues, and there's been damage that's been done. You don't set out to win. You set out to resolve. Let's it together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you your Word. I want to thank you what you reminded me of this past week as I so easily fall into that same trap. I'm just saying, hey, this is somebody else's problem. I pray, Lord, that you would transform my mind and the minds of my family here that, you know, we'd look at conflict in a totally different way. We pray about it. We journal about it. And really think about it. Because most of the time, when we're arguing, we are not thinking. We are just trying to win. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name.